Welcome to One Hit Wonderful, the podcast where we're revisiting all those amazing reality shows that only had one season. I'm your host, Frank the III. And I'm Meredith Broadbeck. And today we're doing a special episode. Actually, we're back to you from hiatus. I hope everyone had a good summer slash very early fall. Um, we had to drop everything and record because HBO released The Ringleader, The Case of the Bling Ring, all about Rachel Lee, which aired last night. We are recording this on Monday, and we are very excited about it. I really enjoyed it. It was good. It was really, really good. I I have it took me on a wild ride. There are things that I really agree with that she said and things I really don't. I think it gave us a lot to pick apart. Um and my husband was as I was telling Frank was not familiar with this case at all. What a loser. And was all <laughs> in. Is now pretty obsessed with it and I think spent the better part of his morning reading about it. Super good. And before we delve into that, um, we wanted to let you guys know that like we are back from hiatus and the show that we're going to be covering is we decided to, to do things a little differently. Um, we're going to do a show neither of us have seen before and something current, which is not something we're usually able to do. Um, so we're going to be covering Secrets and Sisterhood. It's on Hulu. It's about 10 Muslim American sisters. And there are 10 episodes and it was just released this June. Yes. Oh, it was. Okay. Yeah, it was June of this year. What if it gets picked up? Are we violating our, our ethos? Um, I think as long as we do it before a second season happens, I don't think we're violating anything. And Ooh. to be honest, I don't know anyone who's watched it, and I haven't heard much about yeah. it. So the chance yeah. it's going to get picked up are probably pretty slim. Okay. that's. I like that loophole, though. Good thinking. Yeah. Um, so I already watched episode one, and it's going to give us a lot to talk about. It's going to be a wild ride. There are 10 sisters. There are a lot of people to keep track of. So I feel like me personally, it'll probably take me at least half the episodes to figure out who is who. And I'm going to have to identify them by weird things like highlights, husband, you know, like I just, I won't know. Oh, for sure. And I'm probably going to have to spend this entire week figuring out all of their social medias so we can start following them. Yeah. There's there's so many of like there watch the trailer. There are 10 of them. There's so many of them. Um, so we're excited about that. And this way too, if you guys want to watch along with us, it is on Hulu. If you have Hulu, everyone can watch along. Yeah. And I will also say that I watched the entire first episode and I couldn't figure out where they lived. I assume it was LA, but I realized I made that up. So we'll have to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess based on the trailer, I thought LA too, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah. Um, we failed to announce, or maybe she wasn't born yet, um, that Brody and his fiance had their baby and named her Honey. Is that right? It's Honey. <laughs> they named it Honey. Yeah. Oh, Honey Jenner. Yeah. <laughs> That's a choice. <laughs> we texted about it at the time, I will say. Um, okay, hold on. July 29th, Honey Ray Jenner. Okay. Yeah. July 29th, home birth. Of course. Yeah, I know. I mean, he seems happy. Good for him. Honey Ray. I hope Honey Ray isn't going to any kind of public school because I'm sure she's not being vaccinated. <laughs> we already know that. Yeah. I hope Honey Ray is looking forward to getting the measles, but... Whatever. <laughs> Didn't we know someone who that happened to? 
We sure did. But that person at least was born in a foreign country where they didn't yes. vaccinate. It wasn't like yes. a choice. <laughs> However, when the person started telling the story, did I slowly back away from the conversation? Yeah. Yes, I did. Yeah. We all screamed and ran. Yeah. All right. So are you ready to get into the ringleader? I am. I sure am. Okay. Um, well, it, it starts immediately with a video of Rachel Lee at 14. And it seems like I was kind of surprised at how much she spent just recording herself for doing no reason. Nothing. Doing, doing nothing. nothing. Oh, I mean, I guess makes... maybe a lot of teens did that like in the late aughts. So it made me very glad that I didn't. So when she was on instant messenger and all that kind of stuff that, you know, obviously rang, rang true for me as a teen, but I'm so happy that I was never into videoing myself doing anything. <laughs> and like digital cameras only came out in like high school, college. So like, there's not a lot of, um, you know, historical documentation of my youth and I'm fine with it. I just thought it was funny. I mean, I, I guess because I'm so much older and it just doesn't appeal. I mean, I she was 14 and I was probably almost 40. But um, I don't know, just like recording herself literally doing nothing in her bedroom. But it starts with a shot of her at 14 in her bedroom doing nothing, recording herself. Yep. Um, and then, and we, then we fast out. forward to today. Yeah. Um, which in the least surprising thing ever, because my industry is filled with a lot of shady people, we learned that she's become a hairstylist. Yep. I was wondering if you had any notes about her technique because they show her like cutting hair. And I just wondered if you had any professional notes about it. Um, well, I have a feeling that she only cuts like in LA. It's very regimented. Not many people cut and color. They usually do one or the other. So I think she just cuts. Um, they never actually showed her cutting. They showed scissors in her hand. They showed hair falling on the floor, but we mm. never actually got to see the scissors and the hair and her hand all together. The only thing I really noticed that was just kind of funny for me is they show the reception desk and I could tell that they use this program for scheduling called Millennium that we used at my work a while back. Nice. But that was kind of it. And she's very LA crunchy. She's got like crystals all over her station. Hopefully she bought them from Spencer. Yeah. I also couldn't tell if she was in LA or Las Vegas. I mean, she pr clearly spends a lot of time in both, I think. But at the end, I was wondering, oh, was she in Vegas that whole time? That salon looked very LA to me. And me too. not Vegas at all. Me too. But then also, like, Las Vegas is a lot bigger than, like, the Strip and even downtown. So part of me was like, maybe she works at a salon in, like, a nice suburb of Vegas. Maybe it's possible, but I don't know. I was getting very much like LA vibes from yeah. it. Yeah. Like just the inside, even the, like the street shot through the window. I don't know. It just looked very LA to me. I know. But then the end kind of threw me. So maybe we should back up just a little bit just to remind people. I mean, I'm sure all of you who are listening know what the bling ring was, but at least you know, historically speaking, why this documentary is sort of new and different is that Rachel Lee was the one who never spoke about it. So this whole documentary explores, you know, she was pegged as the ringleader in the media, but she was also the one who never spoke out about the crimes at all. And yes. so it was very easy to sort of make her the ringleader because she wasn't defending herself or telling her side of the story to anyone. Unlike Nick Prugo, who you who could not like turn and everyone. everyone, 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 God, 2020, so this, good morning, America, TMZ, like everyone. Yes. 
Yes. So this just sort of explores her side of the story, which was really unheard of until this aired yesterday. And that's why I was interested in it. Um, I was also surprised. I mean, I realized she's not that old, but she looks exactly the same as she did as a teenager. She didn't look super like filled up or Botoxed up either. She just looked good. Well, she's only what, like 33? I guess so. But still, I don't know. I mean, she's still young. Yeah, I guess. But I'm just saying, she looked she looked good. She looked healthy. She had a glow to her. Yeah, and I'm no, always, I think she looked great. I'm always glad when LA kids grow up and they're not like just a pile of filler, you know, as so many are now. Yeah, true. Um, so where should we start here? They sort of start with her background. Um, so I guess when she went to high school she was sort of considered like a fashion icon and sort of a leader and she was very popular and people point out that she was obsessed with fame which i'm pretty sure we knew that already <laughs> yeah well and we get a little backstory that her parents divorced when she was one yeah and her first taste of thievery was when she was her mom was a working mom her mom was a ironically a criminal defense attorney which makes so much sense about her response to her own trial yeah um and her mom wouldn't get home from work until 6 30 so she would go through her mom's stuff and one day she found her mom's briefcase in her mom's closet and there was a fresh stack of brand new hundred dollar bills and she realized that if she just took one that her mom would have never noticed and that's where she got like the fever for the flavor yes and she said that ever since then she said i walked away thinking dang i'm sly and she said she always knew she was a master manipulator and that since then she had an insatiable desire to have as much as she could have which is also, crazy she was well, also we should say that in the beginning we're introduced to two journalists one is alan sulkin right. and the other and he doesn't say what what he's a journalist for it just said journalist right. and then amy kaufman who works for the la times who has the most disarming fake me out blue contacts i've ever seen in my fucking life her eyes were so blue she looked like a game of thrones like white walker yeah i don't know what she's thinking like they i mean you guys like when you watch this it's insane like they're the fakest looking contacts i've ever seen they don't even have like the ring around the outside like really good fake colored contacts have now like i mean paris hilton's you can't even tell these it looks like someone just squirt like cobalt blue dye into her eye and called it a day it was very discerning it's like that one season of vanderpump rules where sheena decided to wear blue contacts half the time in her conventionals yeah <laughs> that was so alarming why very much like that? that why'd she ever do that um so the documentary also reminds us of the time you know and of course, Frank and I were getting all hot and bothered at the same time, I'm sure, with all the oh, Hills yeah. footage. Ugh, and how... all the Ledoux talk. So they basically talk about how this was the rising age of shows like that. So the Hills was really novel in the way that when Lauren and Audrina went to get coffee, you got to see the name of the place. You could often figure out where it was. You could Google it. You could see the street signs. They went to Ledoux. They went to cool restaurants. It was also the age of MTV Cribs and TMZ footage and Perez Hilton. And just, it was the rise of just celebrity in general. And um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, and there was this idea that just like, it could happen to anyone. 
right? Like with the, you know, Paris Hilton obviously grew up very wealthy. She's an heiress. And then Kim Kardashian, it almost gave a lot of people who were fame obsessed, like a glimmer of hope. They were like, oh, I can do it too. You know, I just need to be hot. And they said that in the documentary, they were like, it was an era when all you had to do was have the right clothes and be seen in the right places and you could be famous. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's so much Hills footage in this documentary though. Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was wonderful. It really was such a time. It was such a time. All the mentions of Kitson, I got very excited. Oh, and footage. Yeah. You know, love it. So then they explored that Rachel grew up in Calabasas. Um, and so did one of the reporters, which I found um, interesting. Alan Salkin grew up in Calabasas, and I wrote my notes that he seems a little bitter. He he, he definitely was a like a have-not in Calabasas as well, like as Rachel was. And he definitely seems like very jaded and bitter about it. He is not a fan of Calabasas. He, we'll come back to that at the end because he said something at the end too that I was like, oh, he is, he is bitter. Yeah. Um, so she talks about where she grew up and, you know, it was a quiet upper class neighborhood. Um, and he says, the reporter says, it was an exercise in seeing people on their 16th birthdays get a 320i BMW. He was a little bitter. Yeah. Um, but Rachel agrees that the worst car in the school parking lot was probably a Jetta. Which is interesting because that's what she drove. Oh. Because later when they show footage of her in the car, it was a black Jetta. Yeah, that tracks. Um, but also it was important to note that Calabasas was predominantly white. And so she grew up sort of being ashamed of being Korean. And then they showed this like bizarre clip of one of her home movies but it's she's being filmed by a friend that we don't see yeah, they they're never walking, say who it is yeah they're walking down the road and this other young woman she's with tells a story about how so and so said like you think your shit doesn't stink or something to that effect oh i will tell you the whole thing because yeah i remember it like okay board for word okay. so they're walking and this girl is going full-on mean girl and she was like oh yeah she's like i went to this party and you're like you know who was there it was leo and like he said that he knew you and he said that you were so full of yourself and that you think you're the shit and she's like what me and rachel says like me me are you sure it was me and he was like yeah that chinese girl rachel kind of chinese girl kind of chinese girl yeah, yeah. so they like miss um national they miss her nationality they get it wrong and in, in purpose this girl is stirring up trouble for i mean the whole thing it was just like oh my god mean teenagers like this is gross no and it was sad too that she said one time someone assumed that she was half korean instead of full korean and she said that she was flattered yeah and you know like so she grew up like sort of just wanting to be part of this in crowd and it sounds like she was but she was sort of not in the way that she was the center of it, you know, like she was a teenage girl and being a teenage girl sucks. Being a teenager sucks. Um, but you know, to be in this white town and have people who are friends with you, not even know this about you and love it about you is it's sad. Yeah. Um, so she says like, she was aware that her family was not, you know, poor, but they also weren't rich and, you know, they lived in a nice house, but in Calabasas, like going to your friend's houses or going to a nicer house, there was a really big difference. You know, they were mansions and their moms were super stylish and covered in jewelry and just like the degree of wealth varied a lot in Calabasas. 
And she also talks about something that, I mean, Mayor won't know about this because she doesn't watch The Housewives, but resonates with something that's going on in The Housewives of Salt Lake City right now. But she says that she used to ask for her, mo her mom for like a Tiffany necklace or like a Juicy Couture bag or just like one item to make her feel like she fit in with all of these rich, like one material thing so that she could yeah. like be proud of and fit in. And it's very similar right now on Housewives of Salt Lake City. There's a new housewife and she feels like she had to go buy this Louis Vuitton bag because she's not, she doesn't have the money the other ones do, just so she could kind of fit in. And she has a breakdown with her mom about buying it. So it reminded oh. me a lot of that. So, I mean, this has been going on since the dawn of time. Yeah, no. And I think that is just a universal teenage story too. You always want something that somebody else has. There's a desire to fit in with somebody, you know, it doesn't matter the crowd. There's a desire to fit in where you want to fit in. Um, So then Rachel says that she really struggles with, FOMO. So that's where this comes. Like she's talking about how she wanted designer everything. And she was just really obsessed with that. And she said, no one ever told me I was hot and fun. <laughs> and like, I don't know. It was just, it was funny to see her at, you know, whatever age she is now, 30 or 31. She's still clearly very upset about that. And it's like, yeah. well, you know, not every teenager was hot or fun. So yeah. maybe, maybe by 30, you should be a little more over it by now. Also, you were both it sounds like. So, um, so she starts talking about like the pressure that her parents put on her to go to university, get a good job and do all these things. And it just increased her desire to rebel. And she decided that she was down for whatever quote, especially with drugs. Um, so it started, I guess, at a pool party. Um, yes. When she was 14, she went to a pool party. Yeah, and a kid basically had a handful of different pills and was pointing out what he had in his hand, and she just immediately migrated to Xanax. I was surprised because he had Xanax and Molly. Is yeah. What he had. Um, are they back then ecstasy, Xanax and ecstasy. I thought it was weird that she called it Molly because they don't call it that anymore, but I did back then they didn't call it that. But um, yeah, and she, for whatever reason, picked Xanax. I wonder if it's because it looks more like candy, like Xanax bars kind of look like candy. Yeah. Um, and she loved it. Like it was love at first sight, her and Xanax. Um, she said it took away her emotions and like, she just suddenly didn't care about anything. And she loved that feeling. Um, and she said several times in the documentary that she really wanted to be a leader, but is a follower by nature. And I actually don't see that about her. Uh, yeah. I thought her exact quote was, I was a follower who wanted to look like a leader which I thought was interesting. But I think a lot of people, I, I, I think it's imposter syndrome. Like I think a lot of people who are leaders or in charge or whatever, probably feel like they're faking it. And I think that's what she meant. Like she was a leader, but felt like it was put on and she was faking it. Yeah, that's really true. Um, so then her drug use is just sort of getting more frequent and suddenly we're doing cocaine at school with some girl, right? Yeah, they never say who that girl is either. That she meets this other girl who introduced her to cocaine and parliament lights. Yeah. Who was just like the coolest thing ever, she said. Right. And so then she tells this story, and this was at Calabasas High School, where she and this other young teenager who were doing cocaine at school um, decided they go into the locker room and they see these like two pairs of Uggs sitting there from like someone who's, you know, at practice or gym class or whatever. And they decide to take off their shoes and steal their Uggs and just walk out. And the two Which, young gross. 
disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. Uggs are sweaty, disgusting. Like, I would never put on someone else's Uggs, let alone want to own them and wear them every... Yuck. They're sweat sponges. But to a teenager who's obsessed with luxury things and, you know, just constantly wanting what other people have... I I mean, I wouldn't do it, but... uh, (laughs) So then... These two young women come out of the like locker room or bathroom or whatever, and they follow Rachel and this other, the other girl who stole the Uggs. And they immediately say like, those are our shoes. And they just decide to go with denial. It's like, no, these are ours. We don't know what you're talking about. Like, you know, don't accuse us of stealing your shoes. And I guess one of the accusers points at Rachel and says, pick up your foot then. And Rachel realized that there was something drawn on the bottom of the boot that clearly the girl could figure out they were hers. And so they get called to like the administration over these shoes. And Rachel says the cocaine girl suddenly just melts, right? Like she just falls apart and she says she stole the shoes and she feels horrible and whatever. And Rachel goes all in and she's like, so offended. These are my Uggs. I can't believe she would say that. And she got kicked out of school for these fucking shoes. <laughs> Not only did she get kicked out of school, but she got sent to the last resort bad kids high school behind Calabasas High in the Hills. Hills. Yeah. Which is funny because where I grew up, there was a school called Mark Twain that was the same thing. It was like your last stop before you were like kicked out of school. So she called it a continuation school, which I had never heard of. I don't know exactly what that means. Oh. Um, I'm not sure what that means either. Oh, okay. A continuation high school is an alternative to a comprehensive high school. In some countries, it's primarily used for students who are considered at risk of not graduating at the normal pace. Yeah, yeah. Same. Bad okay. kid school. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. I almost I just, went to Twain. <laughs> I, um, I've just never heard that term before. So, um, so she goes to Indian Hills and she admits that like she wasn't that excited about it because it felt like a drop in status and like Calabasas kids made fun of Indian Hills, but that she also took it as an opportunity in a way to like lean into her rebellion further. It was like, she's at the fuck up kids school. She might as well keep fucking up. Yeah. I mean, and it's where she meets Nick. Right. So then Rachel meets Nick Prugo at Indian Hills. And I didn't, take that many notes on their meeting until she walks by the art room and sees him in there and says that his lips are blue. Okay. This is so confusing. So she, I guess had sort of seen him around school. Then she's, he was, she said he was the new kid. So he must've come after her, which is weird. I, cause I would have thought she would have been the new kid, but she's walking by the art room where they kept the door open and his, he was hit at his head on the desk and she said his lips were blue. And I'm like, huh? She said around the outside of his lips was like purple blue. Yeah. And then she says that an ambulance showed up. And I thought for sure they were going to say that he'd like OD'd. But then she yeah. just said that he like drank too much. Yeah. And that wouldn't make your lips purple blue. So I don't, I'm confused. I know. I was kind of like, was he drinking for loco? Like what is, what was the point of his lips being blue? Was he dehydrated? Well, if he was drinking for loco, he wouldn't have been passed out. I don't know. Oh, that's true. Is that an energy drink with booze in it? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't I don't even know what it is. <laughs> Mad Dog, that shit's blue too, right? 
I don't know. But I thought the I thought the narrative was going to be that he'd like OD'd on something, like Me he'd too. taken too many pills or whatever, and like was unconscious and they had to revive him. But and then the story kind of goes nowhere. It just says he was picked up. Also, even if you are at the last ditch high school, I think if you OD in school, like you still get expelled. Like I was yeah. a little surprised that he was allowed to remain in school after that. Yeah, they don't explain that. And no. If he was famous for getting drunk at school, I agree. Even a continuation school would not keep him. No. Uh-uh. Interesting. I wonder if they made that up to be salacious together. It wouldn't surprise me, to be honest. Um, but I also, of course, like in typical teenage fashion, this kid leaves school in an ambulance and Rachel decides that he needs to be her friend. You know, like the drama's following him. People are talking about him, mostly criticizing him, to be honest. But she, I think she identified with that and wanted to be his friend. Um, and so I guess she explains that her house was sort of on Nick's route home. That's because he took the trolley. trolley. Who knew there was a trolley in Calabasas? Not me. Um, and she sees him waiting for the trolley outside her house and just invites him over. And they well, she really said they would walk the same way. And yeah. so one day she said, hey, why do yeah. you want to hang out at my house and catch the next trolley? And he yeah. was all over it. Yeah. And they, it did, she describes it as sweet and it sounded sweet, yeah. you know, like these two sort of like fuck up outcasts a little bit who had common interests. They became best friends really quickly. And she says, Nick turned me into a queen. He taught me how to contour. He did my eyebrows. We styled each other. Our friendship was so pure at first. That's what she said. Um, and that, you know, he was infatuated with her in a way that felt really good for both of them. And then we also meet Ugh. Eden. No, his name is Eden. Eden. Okay. Eden Shizzle. Well, that's his handle. I think his last name is probably something else. You think? Yeah. I don't know. I felt like it was his real dumb name. I meant to look it up, actually. I mean, good on him, I guess, for keeping the handle shizzle in 2023. Maybe it is his name. I think it's his fucking name. Oh, no, it's a nickname. Oh, it okay. is? Okay. His, his last name is Maymont. Oh, so he's, it, is he French? Yeah, maybe. I actually thought he was... find out that he's foreign. Or, yes. But they never say what country he's from. I oh, wondered I if feel... he was a Israeli. But... Israel? Oh, no, I didn't get Israeli at all. Um, okay, so he pronounces his name Eden. Yeah, so he's French. Okay. Gross. Yeah. French. The French people should be ashamed. Um, so anyway, this is where we meet Eden. Um, Shizzle is not his last name. <laughs> I can't believe in 2023 he's still going by Shizzle then. Like I can't believe a lot of what Eden does. We'll get into that. Yeah, Eden sucks. But like, first of all, like... Not at this point in the documentary he didn't, but he sucks pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, he's the worst. Um, I think he's worse than Nick, actually. Which is hard to pull off. But yeah, he's terrible. Yeah. I mean, so, that would be like if I, I'm going to change my name to Frank Booyah. Like, I mean, what the fuck? Yeah. Dumbass. <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm sorry. Continue. I, I, I promise not to get hung up on this. 
<laughs> it's like a Jersey Shore thing or something. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it's Snoop Dogg, but it's like whatever, dude. Like I don't whatever. I don't <laughs> it's like Ryan Lochte. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so we meet Eden, and he was a friend of Nick's. Also, he didn't go to Indian Hills, right? They were friends from like MySpace. Oh, I thought they were friends from Calabasas. Maybe. Okay. From um, Calabasas High or wherever Nick got kicked out of before he went to Indian Hills. You don't start in Indian Hills. You end up there. Right. I don't think he went to Calabasas too because Rachel didn't know him yet, but I guess they lived kind of close. So I don't know. Mm, I don't know. Maybe she calls Nick the new kid because he had just moved there. I don't know. I missed that. Mm. I forgot. They never say. They never yeah. say. Yeah. They, in fact, they never say where Nick went to school before. Because, I mean, it's really more about her. So they don't delve into his history of this as much. Also, we've heard him enough. Yeah. So point being, Eden talks about how Nick was really infatuated with Rachel really quickly. Like, as soon as they became friends, he was kind of obsessed with her and everything that she was into. And Eden said for him and his other friends that knew Nick before, that they felt like Rachel was like a classic bad influence friend. We all had someone with one of those. Well, and he also said that he and Nick became friends because of their, and I I, can't, oh, I wish I'd written it down and I can't remember how you phrased it, but instead of saying they were both gay, he said it in a very ambiguous, weird way. Like we both hadn't defined our sexuality or something really like yeah. stupid like that. Yeah. I thought they were like MySpace friends, like they met in a gay chat or something. Maybe, but I mean, it seemed like he, like that Nick had a pretty decent friend group with Eden. And then when Rachel showed up, uh, that friend group thought she was trouble. Yes. And so then Rachel even says that they were really reckless in their friend, like really quickly in their friendship. Yeah. And they started referring to themselves as Bonnie and Clyde. And you see footage of them driving around. And she talks about also how they painted she says we painted guns and waved them around. So I'm assuming she means toy guns or water guns, but they painted them black. To yeah, like that's flash exactly them. what she meant. Yeah, to flash them around at people as they drove places or whatever. Yeah, love it. That's some Wish I had thought to do that in high school. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So anyway... And she talks about how their crime started, as we know, by checking cars. So they would leave parties together. Sorry. And they just started opening car doors to see, you know, who was unlocked, what they could get away with. And they got away with quite a bit. Yeah. Cash, phones, um, maybe like a watch or something. Like, I don't know, but pretty significant stuff. So who doesn't lock their car doors? I grew up in the middle of nowhere and I always locked my car doors. I know, me too, but. Although maybe LA people are just so in and out of their cars all the time. It was like a lazy thing to do. They just like couldn't be bothered. I don't think it was LA. I think it was Calabasas specifically. I'm sure people in LA were locking their doors. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is. Because it's like... also probably in gated communities. That's I bet all these parties true. were happening in gated communities. That's true. They should really have said that. That would have been helpful to know. Good point. So then Eden, I can't, I'm, I, I just want to say Eden so badly. Eden talks about like how normal it was and how common it was for him and Nick and everybody else at the time to post on their MySpace bulletin, like where they were going and where they were traveling and what they were up oh, well, to. Before this really quick, 
they yeah. she t- she talks about how they would they they started checking cars oh, and yeah. then they segued into checking mailboxes because if yes. they knew the mailbox was full of mail that meant someone was out of town. Yes. Correct. So then Eden explains that he was really into posting on MySpace and when he was in high school around this time he posted that he and his family were off to Jamaica for a week or whatever. 2 weeks. 2 weeks, right? 2 weeks. Probably spring break. Yeah. I found this interesting, too, because I feel like this comes up later, so we can talk about it now, because this is where it's said. But he said, you know, it's sort of a thing when you grow up with foreign parents, at least a lot of foreign parents, he, like, corrects himself, that they don't trust the American banking system. And they had a lot of cash in the house. Apparently, they had $28,000 worth of cash in the house. And jewelry and clothes. And while they were in Jamaica, all of it was stolen. And that's actually portrayed in the bling ring, too. The movie. Oh, it is? Uh, Oh, yeah, it is. That's the scene where the two characters also drive the Maserati around. Yeah, yeah. They don't say that they did that. Um, It wouldn't surprise me, though, if they took a car for a joyride and then brought it back. Um, But Eden says that he could never prove it, but he always wondered about Nick just from like the way that he behaved, the way he was like obsessed with material things and all that sort of stuff, but they were friends and he felt like weird even thinking that. So once they did that, they moved on to celebrity houses. I also want to know what they did with the money, like $20,000 cash. Like I wanted to, I wanted to hear about their shopping spree. Me too. That's a lot of money for two teenage kids. Yeah, it's a lot of money for anyone. I mean, they were also doing a lot of drugs, right? I mean, not $28,000 worth of drugs. Right. They were going to clubs, probably. Were they spending, like, thousands of dollars on bottle service? Probably. I don't think they were going to clubs. She never said anything about going to clubs. I just assumed. I don't know. It's a lot of money to go through, though. So, maybe they were also just buying stuff. You know, like buying a couple nice handbags, some a watch or two, and that could go pretty fast in Calabasas, probably. Yeah, I guess. But that's what I wanted to hear about. I wanted to know what they bought. Yeah. So they upgraded to celebrity homes with the help of the website Celebrity Aerial Address, which... Celebrity I, Address Aerial. Whatever. I confess, I used to look at it. It was fascinating. <laughs> um, Does I it think still I, exist? Oh, I doubt it. Oh. Um. I think I found it through Perez Hilton. Like they posted a photo of someone's home from overhead. And I wondered how they got that. And then I think I like found the image source or something like, I don't know, but it was, it was a public site. Like it was very easy. Um, And it's just, it's mostly just crazy to see how big houses can be. (laughs) That's it. That's it. I mean, you can see that on Google maps too, but it's just more fun when you know someone fancy lives there. Um, so in October of 2008. Oh, wait, before that happens, yeah. we learn about Eden's other pseudonym online, which is when he was oh Eden Hilton. I forgot to write that yeah. down. Okay, yeah. go on. Go on. Sorry. Um, so Eden, who I want to bully, um <laughs> had briefly, I or not even briefly, starts another YouTube channel where he refers to himself as Eden Hilton. 
the like long lost Hilton sibling. And I didn't bother writing down his friend's name, but he had a female friend. Yeah. Maybe Ava. I can't remember that was doing it as well. He is a tool. I cannot yes. stand this kid. Also, he seemed pretty well off. Yeah. And no, obviously not like a Hilton, but he seemed more well off than Nick and Rachel. Maybe I'm making, sure. that, making that up, but no, 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 for sure. And for him to sort of, I guess the part that was so messed up about it, like if he had said like, oh, it was so embarrassing. I did this as a teenager. I wouldn't be so, ick. but the rest of the documentary too, he, he's clearly obsessed with all of this still, including yep. Nick. And it's like, you were as obsessed with all of this and this lifestyle as Nick was, to be honest. But you kind of had a taste of it in a way that Nick never did, which he's he's a tool. And I firmly believe, after watching it, and we'll discuss him more later, but um, I think part of his bitterness is that he wasn't included. I think he would have joined the bling ring in a second. 100%. So... Paris Hilton's house was actually the first one they went to, which kind of surprised me. Like, that's a big get. Like, they went all in. And I feel like we knew that, and I just forgot. But way to start with a name toward the top of the list in 2008. Yeah. Like, that's a big one. Um, and they thought that they would start that because start there because she had so much that she wouldn't notice. They weren't wrong. It's true. She didn't notice the first time. Not at all. I think it was multiple times before she noticed. It wasn't until they got really greedy and took like a whole shelf of jewelry. Yeah. They hung out at her house, which the documentary didn't really cover. Yeah. They they like had parties in her party room and stuff like that. They were very... That's one thing I don't think... Well, maybe we'll get to our gripes as we go. So I'll save it. Um, so... Rachel says that she definitely got a high from it, but that it was really anxiety producing for her. Um, and that she always had Xanax on her. Like she just was on Xanax all the time, according to her. And this is where we meet her dad. Well, before this, I have two mm -hmm. things that she yeah. says that in order yeah. when the robberies would happen, it was anxiety before they entered the house, mm -hmm. adrenaline during, and yeah. then immediately after she felt perfectly clear. Yeah. Um, and this is also where we find out, and I feel like Paris would be mortified about this, that one of the main things they stole from her was a shit ton of Coke. Okay. So thank you for bringing that up. I, I wasn't sure if it was now or later. I said to my husband, I'm always surprised that that part of the case, I remembered that, but I was always surprised that that part of the case got kind of swept under the rug. Is uh -huh. it that scandalous that a skinny, rich socialite does Coke? No, it's not. She'd been pretty famous for it historically anyway. But it sounds like it was a sizable amount. Well, and they said that they stole it from her repeatedly. And then yeah. one of the times it was a huge sizable amount. And they said they were up all night doing it. Yeah. Nope. That that never really got talked about. But I was just kind of surprised that Paris didn't have it. Like, the fact that it wasn't on her. That I mean, who knows how much she had. But apparently she had some at home. I'm sure she had some in her purse. Sounds like she had it everywhere. So I do remember either from the Vanity Fair article or one of the pieces that we read when we did Pretty Wild, some of it was in like her purses. So she would get home from a night out and just like leave a baggie in a purse because she's rich and she always has another baggie. And so yeah. she would just like toss her purse in her closet and they found a lot of like half empties, I think. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like they found a stash at some point. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, so they introduce her dad um, and we get a bit more about Rachel's backstory, which was really interesting, actually. Um, so she grew up in Seattle before she moved to Calabasas and um, lived with her dad and his mother. So her paternal grandmother and her sister. Um, and her dad was a professional poker player and still is. Poker and gambler, he said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he said that he just fell on financial hardships at some point with that, which probably isn't surprising. Um, and he surrendered his kids to their mother. Also intriguing, like, I want to know more about the mother. Like, what was up with the mother that the professional gambler dad got custody of the two kids and not the lawyer mother? Agreed. And... How is the dad a professional gambler in Seattle? I mean, online. Back then? No. In 2008? You can't online gamble for money. Like, you can now in a state where it's legal. He didn't say it was a legal poker player. Oh, well. I mean, usually professional gambler, like professional poker players live in Vegas or like Atlantic City or someplace where gambling is legal and there's casinos. Did he go into Canada? Did Maybe. He... I don't know. I just they thought it was also, weird. They travel around quite a bit. I was just thinking about what movie did I watch, but that was The Color of Money. That was pool. Um, I'm just saying, like, they, he could travel around and find games, probably. Oh, for sure. But I, I, I feel like you have to be at a really high level to be, like, on... And how is he taking care of his two daughters if he's constantly flying around the country playing poker? Well, his mother I guess was. his mom. I, it just seemed weird. I mean, because he lives in it Vegas was. now, and he's lived in Vegas for a long time, and he lived in Vegas not long after that. So, like, it just it just seemed the, the Seattle thing seemed weird to me. That's all. Yeah, and also because at the very beginning of the documentary, Rachel says, um, "My mother was a criminal defense lawyer, and my dad was in the accounting field." Yeah, girl, what? Yeah, I don't. Well, she is a liar and she fully mean, admits to it. So is your dad a bookie? Like, what do you what do you mean? <laughs> um, but her her dad was intriguing, but her mother did not participate at all. And so I no. I'd be fascinated to know more about the mother. Um and so then it goes back to Rachel, unless do you have any other notes about her dad? No. Uh -uh. Okay. So they, you know, they're really getting a high from these robberies and the things that they're getting from it, probably the things they're buying from that we didn't get to hear about. And, you know, they're living in a celebrity world now, which is what they really were after and what they wanted. Um, and so then they started studying TMZ footage and social media to see when celebrities would be in or out of town. So they would look at their premiere schedules or club openings or whatever. And that's how they would know to go to the houses which is pretty smart. Um, and people shouldn't be so obvious about that stuff. <laughs> no, well, I don't think people are anymore. No, because of this. no, I think there is, I think celebrities still post a lot of things, but they do it delayed now. Yeah. It's not like a, I'm reporting to you live from this club. It's like, Hey, I went to this club four hours ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we don't really get to, hear that much about the other people who are brought into the bling ring and i'm kind of okay with that um maybe they'll do more documentaries on them later but so there's courtney ames and there's daniela is it tomeo tomeo uh-huh um so they sort it's of joined... diana diana tomeo oh okay that is daniela um and those two sort of bring in two dudes 
Roy Lopez and Johnny Ajar. Ajar. Yeah, Johnny Ajar. Ajar. Yeah. Um, and they brought them in to sort of sell the stuff. And they worked together at the Stagebrush Cantina, which I have never heard about before. My husband busted a gut and he said, can we just discuss how the Sagebrush Cantina is the most perfect place where these people could work? hundred like, percent. Sure. Well, it's, sure. I'm sure it was a ripoff of Saddle Ranch. I was going to say it would have been more perfect if it was Saddle Ranch. But, yeah. you know, obviously you don't know about that. So then is this where we also talk about the Venice Beach thing? Yes. Oh, no, that's later. That's later. I see it in my notes. Sorry. I mean, it's not much later. It's a little, just a little right. bit later. Well, this is this is one of my favorite quotes that Rachel said in the documentary because this is where she also meets Alexis. Because Nick meets Alexis and Tess, of course, uh-huh. and is more obsessed with them than he was with Rachel. Specifically Alexis. Yes, which makes perfect sense to me. They had been in a music video. They had a reality TV show coming down the pipe. He was probably all over it. It was like, oh my God, I can style you. I can do this. I can do that. And I bet Alexis just ate it up. Oh, I'm sure. But Rachel says, my best friend's boyfriend's best friend's girlfriend was Alexis. Yeah, I thought that was pretty funny too. (laughs) I rewound it twice because I was like, you're what? (laughs) My best friend's boyfriend's best friend's girlfriend. And also I thought Nick was your best friend. Apparently not. So who is this best friend? I don't know. Also, wouldn't you just say, like, a friend of a friend dates Alexis? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just It was a very teenager way to describe something, given that she's saying it at 30. Very much so, yes. Yeah. Um, and Rachel was jealous of Alexis and, like, Nick's obsession with her. <clears throat> so Rachel admits that the group is growing more dangerous because they're getting bigger. And she also says that she feels like this is where she starts to i don't know this is where i started to turn on her just a little bit because she starts talking about how she really just you know like when she was on xanax she cared about nothing and that was really what the zone she was in when she was committing these robberies and then they cut to is it the assistant um da yes and she was like uh this wasn't a drug-related crime (laughs) And I I agree, you know, like, yeah, she may have been Xanax out of her mind. She was stealing because she was a klepto and she liked it, you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know that doing too much Xanax and kleptomania go together. Well, I get what she's saying. And so this is the thing. So if any of you haven't done Xanax or whatever, but Xanax makes you not give a fuck. Yeah, And the best example I can give of that, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but um, years ago, I had to go to a friend's wedding in Cancun. Um, I arrived, everyone else arrived, one of the bridesmaids arrived. One of the bridesmaids' husbands was terrified to fly, and he was leaving the next day. Like, the, he, he had something to do at work, whatever. And so his doctor had given him a Xanax prescription so that he could get his ass on the plane. He was coming from Texas. And so instead of taking it, like, at the airport he took it at home and so by the time he got to the airport he was all xanaxed out and called his wife because i was sitting next to her at the pool when this happened and was like i'm not coming and she's like what do you mean and so instead of it making him calm enough to get on the plane it made him not give a shit about the repercussions about not coming at all and he was like i'm just not coming 
He's like, I don't care. I'm not coming. And like drove home. And then when he sobered up, he felt absolutely horrible about it. But by then he, the idiot had put the Xanax in his fucking luggage and the luggage still made it on the plane. So he ended up not coming to the wedding at all. So I get what she's saying. Like it makes you like not give a fuck. I agree with that. <laughs> but at the same time, that not giving a fuck is not the only reason for her committing these robberies. It's not oh, like no, she no. was bored and was like, I don't care. I'm going to go rob rich people. She wanted a taste of that lifestyle. This oh, was 100%. But I think what she was saying was that it made her not care about the consequences. Right. I don't think she ever did. I mean, look at how she was with a pair of Ugg boots she didn't own. Yeah. Well, she's um, cooked up for that. Right. But I'm just saying, like, she... I, I totally believe she didn't give a fuck, Xanax or no. But she... These were aspirational robberies that she actively wanted to participate in a hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, and so this is where the reporter who grew up in Calabasas said, you know, like they wanted to be normal, but they were troubled too. And they were, you know, I, do I know that they were that much more troubled than any teenager? Not sure. No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, these were two solidly middle-class kids who yeah. grew up in a rich area who wanted to keep up with the Joneses. And yeah. later on, um, one of the DAs even says, like, I had it harder growing up and yeah. I didn't commit crimes. Right, right. And I think the DA was sort of hard on them and then the reporter was too soft on them and I was sort of in the middle. Like, yeah. I did have some sympathy for them, but yeah. at the same time, I wouldn't have called them... I mean, I guess getting kicked out of school and stuff like that, they were a little troubled, but I just, I fell in between the two, the two perspectives. So then they go to Orlando Bloom's house and, you know, no one is like suspecting teenagers for these robberies. Like they're just, they don't have any leads. They're not suspecting anything. Um, and this is where they get really brazen and stupid with their robberies, right? Like this is where their age really starts to show they're posting pictures of themselves on social media wearing and carrying these things you know so like you see a picture of tess at a nightclub wearing a chanel pearl necklace and you can see the handbags and the watches and all that sort of stuff and then the documentary crew asks rachel if she ever sold the stuff and she says no and then they correct her and they say what about venice beach and she says like she completely forgot about that they sat on Venice Beach with what sounds like a lot of expensive shit and just like let it fly for cheap prices to whoever she would approach like them. 20 bucks a thing. And she said they sold out in like 15 minutes. Also, aren't there hundreds of pawn shops in LA where you could go sell things for a better value? Well, I think to them it wasn't... <sighs> It was almost more the thrill of the stealing and like yeah. being in these celebrity places than the actual items. And I think that's why she also said too, she's like, I gave a lot of this stuff away. I, I don't think it was, I think once they got some stuff, it wasn't the act of possessing the item. It was more just the thrill of being in a celebrity's house or whatever. And that's so that's true. why they were like, I don't give a fuck. And probably a good thing they didn't go to pawn shops because then they surely would have been caught quicker. That's true. Like, they would have been caught real fucking quick if they went to a pawn shop. I also think about it too, not caring about the things they stole was aspirational too. So they were probably looking at Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan with all of these possessions. And they were like, she's not going to care about this one bag. I don't care about this one bag. You know, like they were almost <clears throat> emulating the people that they were stealing from. 
Well, and that kind of comes full circle later when they're they interview Lindsay Lohan and she says, like, it's not about this stuff. Like, she's like, who cares about this stuff? Like, I have a ton of stuff. She's like, it's the violation of someone being in my house. So, yeah. I mean, that's it's the, it's the same line of thinking. Yeah, no, totally. So then they're getting more brazen. They're getting sloppy because the group is also growing. And this is when the footage from Audrina's house comes out. And I would like to say to our favorite ceiling eyes, good on you for being the one who had better security than everybody else who was robbed. Yep. Paris Hilton, put your key under the mat. Orlando Bloom with your sliding doors open and whatever. Audrina. Audrina had the security camera. But again, I bet it goes back to Orlando Bloom and Paris Hilton. I guarantee you lived in gated communities. And I don't know how they managed to get themselves into the gated communities to rob them. But Audrina just lived like in a normal neighborhood. I'm still going to give Audrina a point for the security footage. No, 100%. Um, I remember how they did this because my husband asked me the same question. They accessed a lot of houses through fire roads. Oh, that's right. That's right. So yeah. that was another thing this documentary didn't get into. But when you could use aerial address, you so in California, in these gated communities, especially, which I really wish that they had said, because that would make a lot of things click together. You have to have access for fire trucks and some of these winding streets or gates or whatever. They they don't have time to like stop and talk to a security guard or make sharp turns or whatever. So they have more accessible fire roads. And that's what they used to do. They would park far away and hike down the fire road, which is crazy. And they didn't talk about that. Yeah. So the Audrina footage comes out and, you know, Rachel has people telling her that they see her on TMZ and she immediately calls her dad and tells him the truth. And this is where... I think we can probably decide that Rachel's dad wasn't a legal professional poker player. Yeah. Um, should have put that together sooner. I actually really like her dad though. I think her dad's kind too. of like an OG gangster and we'll get more into that too. Um, so she calls her dad and tells him the truth. And he says like he knew she was going to get caught. And so he moved her to Las Vegas to try and get her to start her life over again. He just Which wanted her. Where he's living. Right. He wanted her out of this friend group immediately. And so she's living in Vegas pretty quickly. And she said, my friends called me to go rob. Like, it, it is literally that quote from the bling ring, except that's supposed to be Alexis's character. I want to rob. Um, and so she drove four hours after getting her dad really high. Well, no, she tried to get him really high. Yeah. So her plan was, like, she smokes weed with her dad. Her She rolled a big flat blunt. She was going to get him so high that he, like, passed out or didn't give a fuck. And she was going to say she's going to L.A. And he wouldn't do it. He just took one toke. And then he told her that she smokes too much. And she yep. should just have one toke. And then she was like, so, and so he wouldn't do it. And so she was like, all right, well, I'm going to LA. And he flipped shit on her and, like, lost his mind. It was like, don't go, don't do this, whatever. And she's like, whatever, I'm going anyway. Yep. And she drove all the way to LA to go rob people. Yep. And they went big. They went to Lindsay Lohan's house uh -huh. and there was more footage. And that was on August 23rd, 2009. Also, I just remembered there is footage from Orlando Bloom's house. Never mind. I'm still giving a slight point to Audrina because I feel like she deserves one. <laughs> but I'm remembering from another um, pretty wild. It's because Alexis was in the footage from Orlando Bloom's house. Well, and we kind of learned from this a little bit justice for Alexis that like, I think that's the only place she robbed. It was. 
she, she went out one, one time. Yeah, she was the least involved of any of these people. Yep. It's because she it's because of Pretty Wild and the Vanity Fair article. Yeah. Yep. Like I mean, even she, the DA says that. Well, and she and Tess were like a couple years older and they were more like out and about town. They were trying to make a name for themselves, but she only participated in this one event. Yep. And it's because her trial was before Brett Goodkin. Yeah. Which is fucking bullshit. Yeah. I know. <laughs> anyway. I get to that in a bit. So, sorry, Orlando Bloom also had security cameras because I remembered the shot of them all walking down the driveway backwards. With their oh, hoodies. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That was Orlando Bloom's house. Sorry, correction. So, there's more footage of them at Lohan's house, and then this is where it all starts to unravel. They bring them in. Do we know exactly what led cops to Nick and Rachel? Yes, they Nick say? fucking turned himself in over nothing. Oh, he turned himself in. Okay. He turned himself in. And even the DA even says, like, I can't remember if it was the DA or who, it was. I think it was the DA, um, says that they didn't have enough evidence. They were all wearing hoodies. That's right. That's right. She that's said right, they would not have gotten caught. Like, if they had just stopped and Nick didn't turn himself in, they all would have gotten away with it. Fucking okay. Nick rolled. Okay. No, no, no. So my note says Nick told them everything, even things they didn't know. But I didn't realize that he drove himself to the station and just like confessed everything. He drove everything. to the station with a bag full of evidence. Yes. Right. Okay. So he he confessed to every single burglary. Yeah. Yeah. Some they didn't even know about. Yes. Right. Sorry. I forgot he turned himself in. I thought they knocked on his door before hers because she was in Vegas. No, they didn't knock on anybody's door. He just freaked out and went and turned himself in. That would probably be me, but I wouldn't I wouldn't roll on my friends. I don't know though. I wouldn't want to go to jail either. But I would the guilt would be hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to start getting addicted to Xanax, I guess. I just have to not care. There you go. <clears throat> so then Nick calls Rachel. And she admits that he sounded weird. It wasn't one of their usual phone calls. Well, this was so. This was in October twenty second of two thousand nine. Okay, is when he calls her. Okay. So this was two months after the Lindsay Lohan burglary. When did he turn himself in? I think not far after that. I don't. They didn't give a date for that. They gave a date of the Lohan uh, burglary, and they gave a date for when he called her and she got arrested. Okay. I would assume some time went by in between because they were probably like checking everything he said. Yeah. But eventually he calls Rachel in Vegas and they have this strange conversation. She can tell that he's distant. And he says like, oh, could you remind me of your dad's address? Like I wrote it down, but I lost your it. Your dad's like, street name. Street name. Yeah. Um, and she gives it to him and basically all of a sudden cops burst in. Which is weird to me because I they feel couldn't... like he would need it to find the house. But if they, when they were just sitting out front waiting for his confirmation, I, the timeline seemed very weird on that to me. Also, they couldn't find. So he gave them her name and they couldn't find her dad. You think her dad, the illegal gambling person, <laughs> has his lease and his real name? Oh, it's well. probably like in her grandmother's name or something. That's true. I don't know. No, her, her and their last name is Lee. There's like that's a billion true. Lees. It, that's true. Fair enough. I just, I'm, I don't know. Like the FBI was practically involved. I expect better. Uh, um, but her dad is officially up to some shit, and I'm gonna be careful. Yeah. 
now that we're saying it out loud, I'm like, oh, her dad was into some shit. Um, so of course they burst into her dad's house and they actually take like everything. So they take her dad's seed money. So like his pile of cash. And I'm like, what's with foreign parents and piles of cash? <laughs> um, but his, it was like his gambling money. And then she also says that they took her grandmother's fur coat because they thought it may have belonged to a celebrity. And my note in all caps says Nana's mink. They took Nana's yeah, mink. Uh, they did take Nana's mink. hundred <laughs> percent. They took Nana's fucking mink. Um, they thought it was Lindsay Lohan's. Yeah. And then the nail in the coffin for Rachel is that, and this is so weird, but they did this too. They found a picture in her bathroom trash can that was Paris Hilton naked ripped up into pieces. So these kids also took like weird personal mementos and kept them. And clearly Rachel wanted to feel closer to Paris and kept these photos that she stole. What's interesting about this though, is that all they found? Because yeah. she never says if they found any of the other stuff. And then later we find out that there's a rumor that her dad went and buried it all in the desert. Like we need to get one of those metal detectors and just comb the desert. Cause I bet there's a bunch of like amazing bags and stuff just hanging out in the desert in Vegas. And let's be honest, he totally did. A hundred percent. I wonder if they ever dug it up, but they're, um, but yeah, like, I don't, I think that's all they found. I mean, she makes it sound like all they found was that picture. So I think that was all they found to tie her to the crimes, but based on the evidence of all the other people. So Nick set it off and then they start bringing in everybody else, Courtney, Alexis, all these people. And they all pointed the finger at Rachel. Oh, a hundred percent. But I'm yeah. just wondering if she hadn't had that picture. Mm hmm. If she would have gotten off. Probably. Yeah. And Nick would have have confessed to everything, which is amazing. Although and they would she never take out the trash. I think she probably realized something was coming for her and she like ripped it up. Also flush it next time, girl. Don't use it. Burn it. <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Um, no, I feel like she probably still would have done time based on the testimony of all the other people. Right. And the security footage and stuff like that. I don't know. It's hearsay. I think she could have gotten off. That's true. If she really had no possessions. That's right. There's no theft unless you have the. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Um, but I guess the detective said to her on this day, this is musical chairs and you're the only one without a chair. Yeah. Because everyone else had already rolled. Yep. Which is so fucked up. I actually felt bad for her a little bit, yeah. even though, you know, um, so this is where we start to hear about Brett Goodkin and how much he loved to talk, which was a lot, as we know. Uh-huh. And we also realized the extent of how many things they stole. So there were millions of dollars of goods all told throughout the bling ring. Watches. Two million from Paris Hilton alone. Yes. Watches, clothes, shoes, jewelry, purses, and a gun from Brian Austin Green's house. Yep. David Silver, your father would be ashamed. He obviously learned nothing from the death of his young friend. Scott. In season one. Yes. Season two, Scott Scanlon. But yes. It's he died right, in season two? Yeah. It's right around oh. the, it's right around your favorite episode, Euphoria. Oh yeah. That is my favorite episode. Yeah. Because Emily Valentine is at that birthday party with Brandon. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Talk about dating ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> um. And this is also where they start to get into the pretty wild of it all and the Vanity Fair article. So we also got treated to clips of the famous phone call from Alexis to Nancy Joe. Yep. My, my husband had never seen them. 
he was suddenly so proud of us and this podcast. He was like, wait, this is pretty wild. And I said, yes, welcome to my world of depravity. Like, it's amazing. Jump on in. The water's warm, my dear. So let's see. Oh, and Eden. Oh, Eden. He's actually trying to ride the coattails of these crimes. Oh, he sure is. He's trying very hard at this time to let people know Nick and Rachel also robbed my house. Nick and Rachel also robbed my house. And he tried to talk to media about it. And And they were so focused on celebrities. They didn't want to talk to him. And the reason behind it is that he did not know until the Vanity Fair article came out that it was Nick that had robbed his parents' house. That's how he found out. And that's when he went on this like campaign to tell Ellen. (laughs) (laughs) An idiot. The fucking idiot. I hate this kid. Yeah, he was bad. Um, and so then we learn the reason for Rachel's silence in, you know, the trials and in talking to media was because her mom coached her as she should have. Her mom yeah. was a criminal defense attorney. I would want my mom to coach me too, if that's how it was going down. And she says like, my rebellion disappeared and I did exactly what I was told, which and- I think is what you're supposed to do when you're facing jail time. And it was uh, December 2nd, 2009, when they were all indicted. Um, And the really crazy thing is, and this is when they talk about, this is when she talks about asking her dad what he would do with stolen property. Yes. And she claims she did it because she just likes to know people's psyches, which I'm like, honey, like whatever. Bullshit. Bullshit. Um, And that's when he said he would bury it in the desert. And the neighbors said that they, this is what I thought was weird. Because the neighbors apparently saw him, but I'm like, wouldn't he go far into the desert? Like, how did the neighbors see him? They saw him, like, loading his car or, like, carrying a shovel or something like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, then the dad fled to Korea for three years. Sure did. So yeah. her dad buried all of it. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, and so I think the other thing that she said that was interesting. She said, you know, because of my silence, I got painted as this mastermind of the whole thing. Like I was dragging everybody into this. And she said, I didn't force them. And, and let's be honest. And she kind of says this later too. She and Nick were equally culpable. They were 50, 50. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually feel like the people who got pulled into it were probably more because of him than her because of his obsession with Alexis. I don't quite know the connection to Courtney and um, Diana though. So maybe they each brought in a couple people, but they were, I think she was friends with Diana. Okay. Cause there were a lot of pictures of them together. So they were equally culpable for sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, And so then the first deal that Rachel's offered, and this is where I call bullshit on her a little bit too, is that she was first offered 11 years. And she sort of said like, well, that's what I deserved. You know, I was willing to face that. And I realized I'd be 29, but you know, it was what it was. And I was like, what? There is no way your 18 year old self didn't shit your pants and break down in tears and think about half your life going down the tubes. No fucking way. Well, the other thing that I thought was really weird is that she says she's sitting in the lawyer's office with her mom and her mom's like freaking out. And I'm like, your mom's a criminal defense attorney. Like if anyone would know about sentencing and like what you could be facing, it would be your mom. Yeah. And then, so she basically says that she was, she almost took the 11 years according to her. And then someone was like, no, of course. No, the lawyer said that. Was like, no, 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 no. Like we're all like marked down. Yeah. And so then the second offer is four years. 
And that was on um, October 25th, 2011. So it was two years oh. between when they were indicted and between when she was sentenced. That's horrible. That's yeah. horrible. But the DA, the assistant DA or whoever that was, they do admit they, because the case got taken over by someone else. And so there's two DAs in the documentary. And the woman says, Rachel did her time. She took it like a woman and she left. Yeah. Like apparently she did not put up a huge fuss, was like fine four years, I'm out. Yeah. Well, and she really only, I mean, I did the timeline because she was sentenced on. It was October like she went to college. Yeah. And then she got out on March 20th, 2013. So she really only served 17 months. I mean, which is still a long time to be in jail, but way less than four years. Oh, okay. I didn't do the math. I was curious about yeah, that too. 17 months. I mean, I'm sure she was on then probation until yeah. the four years ended, but she was only in jail for 17 months. Okay. And um, I can't remember how long Nick was in jail for. Not less. Because he got two years, so maybe less than a year, probably, he actually spent in jail, I would guess. Yep. So then, as the documentary starts to wind down, this is where we get, like, the Coppola movie coming out, the Brett Goodkin of it all. So Coppola starts making this movie even before sentencing is done, right? Yeah. So Alexis was a paid consultant on the movie. Which I didn't remember. Me either. As was the chief investigator, Brett Goodkin, with the LAPD. And so the reporter, right, starts, or was it the DA? It was the DA starts nosing around the movie. No, the reporter. The reporter. Goes, the, the reporter for the LA Times. Okay. Um, asks if she can do an onset visit. Yes. Sees Brett Goodkin there or whatever. And then she reports it to the DA. So, well, she also asked Sophia Coppola, like, oh, Brett Goodkin, like, was a, you know, he advised this movie and they, Sofia Coppola said, oh, he's been super helpful. He even has a cameo in the bling ring. So then the reporter brings it to the DA's attention and Goodkin sort of walks it back and says like, oh, I wasn't really involved, you know, like some technical stuff, like basically how to arrest someone, blah, blah, blah. He says that he got paid, you know, like five or $6,000 and tries to sweep it under the rug. And so then they start digging through the film's payroll records and his involvement. And he actually got $12,500 and never disclosed it. Yep. So because of that, he couldn't testify. And everything he knew about everyone else's involvement was irrelevant. So the only people that got fucked were Rachel and Alexis. Yep. Yep. So Nick got sentenced to two years and everyone else got probation. Yep. Everyone. If Alexis's case had been after that, she would have walked. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Rachel yeah. probably would have gotten way less time. Probably. Yep. So <clears throat> the, the other thing she says too is staying out of the limelight and sort of taking this all on the chin and then just like, you know, disappearing. It kept her reputation of ringleader persistent. Like, there was no one to contest it. Her mom wasn't talking. She wasn't talking. And then she took her jail time and bounced. And so the narrative of her being the ringleader of the bling ring still exists. Like, people would just say that, you know. I mean, up until this documentary. Yeah. But yeah. up until last night. One of the things I thought she said, though, that I was like, the fuck? Um, she says that, like, before she was waiting to go to jail, she went into the bathroom and there was a bag of Xanax sitting on the sink. And she said she took one and flushed the rest. And then she says, to this day, I don't know if that's the truth or if that's a lie. I know. What the fuck does that mean, bitch? 
I mean, she's high on Xanax right now. She's filming. That's why she's so mellow. I guess. I don't. It was weird. Yeah. Did we also get to the part where she said, I used to be a sociopath? Yes. Well, no, no, we haven't talked about that yet. That's that's in a, in a, in a little bit. That's okay. after the stuff with her mom and her, okay. I mean, her grandma and her yeah. dad. Yeah. Well, so, um, you know, she, she goes to prison. Um, she didn't have that much to say about her time in prison other than her grandmother passed away while she was in prison and her dad was in Korea. And so her dad came back to the States to obviously like tie up his mother's affairs and went to visit Rachel. And he said to her, my mom died alone because of you. And like, I love you, but it's going to take me a long time to forgive you. But then apparently it didn't because she said he still continued to visit her. I mean, it sounds like he came back for the funeral and then never went back to Korea and just stayed in yeah. the States. I mean, I would imagine now that she's been arrested and in jail, the heat's off of him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, also, like, are they really going to go digging through the desert for, like... So once they... So Nick brought in all this stuff, right? They have a report of everything that's missing, presumably. How much did Rachel actually have still on her in Las Vegas compared to what she gave away or what was sold? So, like, were they really going to comb the whole desert for it? No. I don't know, but I kind of want to. <laughs> Not going to lie. Pilgrimage. Um, so then I also really enjoyed this, like, full circle moment with Lindsay Lohan's fall from grace, where did she end up in the cell next to Alexis? She Alexis claims that she was yeah. in the cell next to her and that she could hear her crying. Yes. Because um, Lindsay, <gasps> did she get a DUI and steal some stuff? I don't remember. She got no. She got arrested for the DUI, and then there was a whole thing with the necklace. I can't remember if she actually got arrested for that or not. But she was in a jewelry store, and like I think she yes. was, she tried it on and claimed she forgot she was trying it on and walked out or whatever. It was a whole thing, but yes. I can't remember if she was ever officially charged with that or not. That's right. Okay. But mm. I don't. I mean, she was never in jail for more than like a day. I know. Well, did Paris Hilton go to jail for like a day too? Not even. It was like six hours or something. Right. But it was still, I enjoyed this montage a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. Um, <laughs> the table said turned. about the other montage we get, which is Ed and okay. Shizzle. Yeah. So let's tie it up on Ed and Shizzle right now. Oh, my God. This motherfucker. He so, is still trying to talk about this. Yeah. He, he talks about how he decided to upload a YouTube video in the thick of pandemic and lockdown uh -huh. because he wanted people to know like everyone was at home and it was time to take it to YouTube. And he's so obsessed with the fact that his family was robbed in 2008. Well, and he apparently what he dropped and I'm not going to lie. I probably am going to watch these later, but um, <laughs> he dropped a ton of screenshots of his yes. correspondence with Nick from that time. And I do kind of want to see them. Um, but they also showed him in present day making TikTok videos with some fucking song that was like Corvette, Corvette, drive yeah. the jet. I was like, the fuck? And you know, you <laughs> know that last night when this aired on HBO, his entire apartment house, whatever, is covered in his own jizz because he was so excited that he got to be on HBO. I'm surprised he's alive. I'm surprised his heart didn't explode with excitement. I and know. He is pathetic. Tick. And the worst part is he that says he, he says, would still hang out with Nick. Yeah, that he's spoken to Nick and that he wouldn't have him at his house, but he would go out and have sushi with him. And I'm like, well, so how are you 
campaigning for justice, but at the same time, you're like fucking friends with him again. Like I like this guy sucks. He fucking he said, sucks. I wouldn't have him over to my house, but I would like have sushi with him. Yeah. You douche nozzle. I yeah. uh, I hate this guy. It was really bad. At Awful. first, when he first appears, I was kind of like, oh my God, Nick ripped off his like wealthier friend. Like that's fucked up. And then the doc went on, I was like, oh, I hate him too. Yeah. I would have robbed him. I don't go rob him tonight. Like he fucking blows. Also, it wasn't him. It was his mom and dad. I know that's, I'm just. <laughs> no, a hundred percent. And that's the thing too. Cause his parents, based on what he was saying, do not give a fuck. And I'm sure insurance covered all of it. Although I don't know about the cash. Like, cause it'd be hard to prove that you had $28,000 cash in your house. Yeah. Um, but they also look like the kind of people just based on his current TikTok and that fancy backyard that I don't think $28,000 is much money to them. No. And if his parents had wanted to pursue legal action about all of it, they clearly could have afforded to. Yeah. I don't, I don't Can know. Can you imagine what hanging out with him must be? Like, I'm sure it's all he talks about. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I guarantee so, you, I guarantee you, he is at the Abbey, going to the Abbey tonight in hopes that random gays will notice him from being in the documentary last night. I guarantee it. You should <laughs> raise the bat signal, see, see if anybody tells you. I 100% should. Like, what a douche nozzle. Um, and then we get a little bit more with Rachel, and this is when she says that she thinks she was a sociopath when she was younger. Also, I don't think you grow out of that. That's That was my take. I was like, I agree, you don't grow out of that. Yeah. I, I think either you are or you aren't. So the reason that I agree with that, and also this is something that wasn't talked about in this documentary, but like some of their visits to these homes, as Frank and I have discussed, were not only about stealing goods. You know, like they were partying at Paris Hilton's house. Rachel famously took a you know what in the bathroom. Uh -huh. So for her to say that she was just like, oh, so anxious and it was about the stuff and all that, it wasn't. It wasn't. No. She was they were she was brazen about this shit. Yeah. And they were basically cosplaying for the night as celebrities, like living yes. like it would be to be a celebrity in their homes. Yes. And then there's also the famous moment where she was arrested and they said, you know, like we have footage of you at Lindsay Lohan's and Lindsay's seen it. And the first thing Rachel says was, what did Lindsay say? Like she was, she was into it. And I was sort of surprised, I guess, that she. And they talk about that in the documentary. At the very beginning. And then yeah. they kind of walked it back. Yeah. But I think, so as we're sort of summarizing this documentary and it's winding down, there are a couple things that I was questioning i was sort of like why doesn't she just sort of blame it on being like a dumb teenager who wanted to be famous like i feel like that was a really easy card to play and she still can't do it like she tried to blame xanax and she tried to blame like getting high off of stuff i was like you could also just blame youth like i don't know it just felt like her explanations for it were still a little all over the map to me well, and what tracks with that is one of the last thing she says is the documentarian asks her about lying and she, they say, do you lie accidentally? And she says, yes, I do. Yeah. It it was weird. It's weird. Because well, I think she's a compulsive liar. Yeah. Um, and she also said that I was curious for your opinion on that she feels like one of Nick's victims. Um. Yeah. 
I see both sides of that. I mean, I see she's one of Nick's victims, and then he trotted his little faggoty ass down to the police station and rat her out. Yeah. Well, and he did nothing. And then vilified her all over the media. Yes. I think in the crimes, she was not. After the crimes, she was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he also, this narrative of her as the ringleader, that was Nick's design. That, that This is all because he would talk to anybody and took the heat off himself. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I, mean, I, I think out of the two of them, that she, like he was, she, she never threw him under the bus for other people. Like he was no. very willing to like social climb and go into the next person. I think in terms of their incredibly dysfunctional fucked up friendship, she was a much better friend. Yes. Yeah. No, I do too. And in that sense, I do think she was a victim of him. Yeah. Yeah. But I just don't, I don't see it as one of them convinced the other one to steal. I think they were both really invested in it. Oh, a thousand percent. And and yeah. again, I think when she was saying that she was a victim of him, she was talking about what, what I was talking about, that he kind of used her. Uh, he threw her under the bus to get a lighter sentence, threw everybody under the bus. Like, I think, I think that Nick truly only cares about Nick. And I think in a sick, twisted way, Rachel cared very much about Nick. Yeah. No, and she was genuinely shocked that he sold her out. Yeah. And I don't think she would have sold him out. No, clearly not. She had her dad burying shit. Yeah. So, yeah. I, no. I think he is the true loser in this story. Um, but I suggest all of you go out and look up Ed and Shizzle online. Um, <laughs> if you real. want a good laugh. Or if you've eaten something rotten and need to throw it up. That could would also help with that. <laughs> well, I'm glad we watched it. I mean, this is this is in our wheelhouse. It's relevant. Yeah, so. 100%. It was very exciting. It was a fun way for us to come back. And we are going to be back to you guys very soon with the first episode of, what is it? Sister Secrets and Sisterhood. Secrets and Sisters, yes. Secrets and Sisters coming your way very soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of One Hit Wonderful. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at OneHitPod. You can email us at franklymarebe at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nana's Mink. And you can find me on Twitter at HeyIt'sMareB. Please remember to rate and subscribe. And have a great week, guys. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>